coming to you live from inside the globe, perched high atop the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent, your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Cole Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Hey Kids Comics. I'm your host, Andrew Farmer. With me, as always, the Jedi Cole Houston, your other host and producer of the show. And I'm keeping talk. I'm going to keep going because I think he's eating. Are you, are you uh, good? Maybe. 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 Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I was I was playing for time. Possibility. I appreciate that. that no problem. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Oh man! Uh, last week, great episode. Thanks again to Catherine Houston for coming oh, on. Oh, uh, that was. She brought more than she, as always, brought more than she realizes. Oh yeah, and she she started us off strong. Um, and what's the okay? So what's the story arc called? Cole, you know better than I. <laughs> He's still eating. Oh, I, no, I wasn't. Uh, no, seriously, this is um. Damn. Uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, I don't know what it is. This is declaration. Declaration of Independence. Yes, yes. And this is our second chapter, Malibu Kin. Okay, so here's the thing about Malibu, is if last week was about techno, this this issue is an interesting juxtaposition because it's all polar opposite of techno. Malibu is much loved. They are um, they are applauded for much remembered as well that's the thing you know techno yeah. be like what people look with a fondness at malibu you know wh- whereas techno you couldn't find anybody that was that had talked about it nobody that claimed to remember it it was basically like <laughs> burn after reading um somebody put a burn notice out on i think more people have acknowledged watching burn notice than <laughs> uh reading techno comics um but malibu and I have a special relationship with Malibu because I loved Malibu. And Malibu might have been the first independent comic company that I that I was highly invested in that was, you know, the the company that wasn't Marvel was the first was probably Malibu in a big way. Absolutely. Like, and I think we need to reiterate uh, that when we speak of an independent comic company, uh, we're talking about a period where if you weren't Marvel or DC, you were an indie. Right. I mean, granted, some of them became juggernauts, but... Well, Malibu so, was one of those. Um, yeah, and some of them became nothing. But Malibu started as an independent, unlike Techno, who started as a conglomerate that decided that, you know, big entertainment literally wanted to make comics and make money. Malibu started as, you know, I don't want to give it the Henry Ford treatment where it was one man and a dream, but yeah. but it kind of was that. Um a couple, a, a couple guys that had worked in the bigs, um, David Albrecht and Tom Mason started Malibu, but they had worked in the bigs, and most of the first four Malibu had worked in the bigs, and a lot of people don't realize this about Malibu was well, okay, so so the hi- little little history on <laughs> Malibu. Let, let's do this right. A little history on Malibu. Yes, absolutely. Okay? So Malibu started in '86. That's when they officially became Malibu Comics. I said Albrecht earlier. Uh, Albrecht was worked for Fantagraphics, and he was the leader of the Jack Kirby. So, kind of a big deal, this guy. Yeah. Right? Um, they started with black and white he, stuff. Ahead, he had sorry. some comic chops, to say the least. Yeah. They started the bla- they, they started like a lot of companies do the, um, at the time, the open license black and white stuff. They did like Tarzan and Sherlock Holmes, um, and, and the, uh, what's it called? Public domain? Think public yes. domain stuff. The stuff they could get their hands on. Because again, this was the eighties, this was the height so so if the if the 90s were the comics boot, right? The eighties <laughs> were the comics renaissance. So yes. everybody wanted not to get a piece of the pie, right? Not to make not necessarily to fund not to buy a yacht and a skyscraper, but <laughs> these are the people you know, the people that really started in the eighties, if you look at it, are the people that wanted to wanted to create good books put them out there for people and get become a part of the industry that they weren't at that point um, absolutely i think it was really very much a um a creative pursuit granted there was the business element mm-hmm. but it wasn't just 
hey, look what's going on over in comics. That's an untapped gold mine of the entertainment industry that we, uh, you know, around the boardroom need to get our claws into. Right. Did you hear that people are making money in comic books? Well, we should get yeah. in on that. No, these are people from within inside that wanted to create something and maybe make a profit off of it, not the other way around. Exactly. And that's awesome. So they made an arrangement in 80. So that was like 86 to 87. They were, um, and, uh, they got financed by, um, a guy named Scott Mitchell Rosenberg, who was, who was running, um, sunrise, sunrise distributors who were a diamond or, you know, they were a comic distributing company. So they were getting financed by somebody that was already distributing comics. They were going to build this up. They started putting out the black and whites. Um, and in 87, they acquired Eternity Comics and Air Cell Comics, which we've talked about Air Cell oh, Comics in the back. Wow. Right. Those were yeah, imprints been... of Malibu at that point. I, I did not realize that rich a history. I remember them sort of just hoving onto the scene with some uh, different kind of titles. Well, so they so when they started, they acquired imprints, right? They went to them because I'm guessing they could give them a better price or whatever it was. Exactly. Um, so you wouldn't necessarily, because they weren't slapping Malibu on it the way that they were when they were making their own comics. Well, they, yeah, they well a put. Huge, they weren't a huge presence at that point. They were behind the scenes. Um and then they had, and then in '89 they acquired Adventure Publication. So, and after so all, of this that, is like a litany of comic publishers no one remembers. I mean, even less so than Techno. I, right, but this is how it started. So they started bringing these guys in and building a name for themselves in the industry. Yeah. So people started knowing Malibu as the company that was breathing life into these dying <laughs> these dying comic companies bring them yeah. under one umbrella and allowing them to continue to publish books awesome great and 89 is when they started to make their own titles so they were using the eternity brand as their magazine line and their anime stuff like um i remember do you remember eternity on like robotech Ah, that was it. Yeah. Right? Okay. I can vividly remember. I have one issue in my long boxes of Robotech that is branded Eternity, and it's the only time I ever saw Eternity. Yes, that's that's probably where I remember that, because uh, that's, that's got Lin Minmay, is that right? I, I don't know. Didn't he do Hamilton? Oh, um, that's right. Yeah, you're right. No, I, get, I so Miranda. get anime and American and, history confused. <laughs> and rapping American um, there, history. There, there are so many parallels. It's insane. I also like the parallels. Um, I love it, especially big words like parallelogram. Parallelogram. <laughs> they were doing my personal favorite: the singing parallelogram. <laughs> Uh, they were using adventure um, publications to do their um, telegram cracker. <laughs> damn it! <laughs> to do Planet of the Apes, Doc Savage, um, stuff like that. Um, yes. They're inexpensive they're, licenses. Inexpensive licenses were still because under nobody adventure. was licensing stuff that way. Right. Yet. Right. Um, I mean, and they, this was the period where Dark Horse really capitalized on that exact same thing. They were like, well, you know, comics, they last about a year. Uh, you know, five grand. We're good. Um, do you know who Barry Blair is? Very familiar name. Um, Barry Blair. They they had Barry Blair, too. Um, Barry Blair did um, the Air Cell stuff. That's why you know his name. So, you know what else was Air Cell? So, Samurai... Elford, Dragon Force. Okay. But you know what else was was Air Cell? Men in Black. Oh, the wonder. So it, Men in Black has an interesting story. Oh, in the so now and, I. Yeah, now you see the now yeah, you the, see the the, road. the rainbow arc uh, has landed. <laughs> the donut. That's, that's just for you. Yeah, that, this is the the hole in the donut hole that I that you didn't know. Been, yeah. So Barry Blair does Air Cell. They had Air Cell, so they were using that for their more adult titles, their anime stuff, and the Air Cell stuff, okay? So then, 
in 92. <laughs> this is but the, but the cool thing about this is think about how smart this one company Malibu went and picked up these imprints to run under. So now they have anime comics. They have adventure comics with license. They have um they have eternity comics to do, you know, to to run for their magazine line. So they're diversified. So they're 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 in good they're in good shape at this point. So what they decide to do now um, is in '92 there were a bunch of heroes from a company called Centaur Publications, and those w- fell into the public domain. Interesting. Things like prote- the Protectors. These names are going to start sounding familiar if you're a fan of Malibu comics. Things like the Protectors, which were um, which were things like Airman and Amazing Man. And Arrow, and and my personal favorite, legitimately one of my three personal favorite Malibu (laughs) comics, Ferret Man. Ferret Man? Remember Ferret Man? He had a Wolverine-esque costume, long, like, flowing blonde hair, claws. I think I remember him. Um, In fact, I think Ferret Man... We'll have to wait this, because this is a little bit further into the uh, the history of Malibu. But I think Ferret Man may have been a kind of cover story for a very specific issue. Okay. <laughs> Ferret Man is... Ferret Man was one of my favorites. If you, if you need me to say them out and out, it was Ferret Man, Solitaire, and Nightman. But was, you know, when you say Ferret Man, I was immediately brought back to the... What, like, I guess, third Bob Newhart vehicle? Yes, yes. In television history, Bob? Yes. Which also capitalized on exactly this period in comic history by trying to build a sitcom around a an older comic creator who is now being invited into the company of the Young Guns uh, to bring his creation um Mad Dog? I think it was Mad Dog. And I remember there was a, a discussion of a poster and the, all of the, you know, this was a big thing if you had a little indie as you would do a poster of all your corral of characters. Mm-hmm. And they were repeatedly talking about Oyster Boy. <laughs> <laughs> and Malibu was no stranger to that. Because Malibu was smart. They came in at a weird right time when comics marketing, like we talked about last issue, was was prime and rife you know new wave marketing for an older product and they okay we'll get into that but i'm i'm sorry i'm excited this oh, is, no, this is i this love is malibu nice. and i'll and i'll we'll get into why later so once they got a hold of the centaur publication line um they formed their <laughs> own kind of superhero line within malibu because they already had all, all the ones we've talked about. So they, they decided they were going to have a superhero line now. And they called it the Genesis line. And it was the Centaur Publications guys. It was like Cat and Mouse, Men in Black, Nicole, Baby, Dinosaurs <laughs> for Hire. Oh, I remember that one. Because that yes. was an eternity book. X-Mutants. Yeah. Do you remember the X-Mutants? I remember X-Mutants. Shuriken was in there. Dead Clown. Widowmaker. So those were all in the Genesis. So now they have effectively four lines that they're... And they... and and Okay, so here's where it gets into... Because keep in mind, at this... Bravura? Remember Bravura? Yes, I remember that one. They got Bravura imprint, okay? Malibu had a Bravura... Bravura imprint started its own, their own licenses and titles. Malibu, Bravura was the forerunner to Image Comics. Malibu was the incubator for Image while Image got their shit together. Yeah. So, another reason that Malibu is fondly remembered is because they took a chance while these guys, while these young guns are, you know, uh, jumping ship from DC and Malibu, this is the safe harbor (laughs) that they had to make comics until Image could become Image. So they were making them Malibu. So Malibu <laughs> um, then got 10% of the American comics market share. That Yeah, that was an amazing feat in its day. Yes. Because that meant you registered on the pie. Right. And, you and, actually got a visible sliver 
Uh, now you'll remember what that's like from your diamond days. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So all of a sudden Malibu is because image was a, okay, we cannot underestimate what a big deal image was. You know, image was everywhere. Image was on t-shirts and in commercials and on TV news. Oh yeah. Mainstream. And on Bob. Yeah. Like it broke three into or four sitcoms. of the image. Uh, yeah, three or four of the image creators wound up on an episode of Bob. So Malibu's now, if not a household name, uh, it, it's spoken in houses where people know anything about comics. Exactly. Which is a big deal for a small independent. Now this is about four years, five years into their run. They only get a ten-year run. So in '93, that was all through up to '93. Okay. So all of a sudden they've got clout and clout led to Ultraverse. Yes. Ultraverse was the superhero line that I remember. So Cole, what do you remember about Malibu Ultraverse? Well, I, I think the two prominent things that were on opposite ends of a, a, a spectrum. Okay. At least personally. Uh, and those were uh, Ultra Force. Okay, yes. Which was really exciting um, because he, uh, because it, it was George Perez yes. outside of Marvel or DC. Yes. And it was a George Perez created thing. It was everything that, you know, Ultraforce could just as easily have been a techno George Perez's Ultraforce. He just like would make the names, give a plot synopsis and wait for the check to arrive. But this was George Perez, creator-owned, you know, creating characters and and drawing the characters and writing the characters, you know, uh, write the theme music, sing the theme music, star in it. <laughs> that's, that's for Little Britain fans. Uh, they, you know, it was it, it was really exciting because Perez was, you know, iconic. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what. That's what they did. They made, they pulled in all these iconic creators at this point, but they weren't young guys. Yeah, they were, uh, they were substantial creators that were making comics, and yeah. and people that have been around for a while, people with, um, people with clout, people with history, were making comics. And that's that's at that point that was unheard of. You had people go back and forth a little bit from Marvel to DC, but you didn't have them making their own large imprint, creator-owned comics. You know, you had these young upstarts do it and kind of kick the door open. But exactly. then, you, then you got George Perez, <laughs> you know, of the Avengers, of you know the the of the Teen Titans. Yes, exactly. I mean, making making their own comics. It's it's it was awesome. It was, okay. So that's one thing. That's one end of the spectrum. You said there was another end too. Yeah, the other end. Uh, I mean, it was. I wouldn't say equal parts clever and silly, but it's pretty close. I mean, I think you'd have to have some measuring cups or something. Uh, and that was Prime. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. Prime. I love Prime. So, uh, so whatever works. Yeah. So, uh, it just the Prime was like, uh, if it, it was equal parts anything, it was equal parts Captain Marvel, aka Shazam, and Superman. And in that way, they were one of the few to rip off both simultaneously. I agree. But here's the thing, right? Prime was something that I had never seen in comics. Because while Prime was, I thought it was a, I thought it was a Shazam, a take on Shazam. Yeah. You got a kid, the kid can prime out, but the way that he primes out is by ripping through his own body. <laughs> like that was the crazy part because it was like an ectoplasmic shell. I forget the way they explained it, but literally would rip apart his like in the most gross fashion ever and like climb out of himself and be prime and then the reverse would happen so yeah shazam would be like say shazam blinding flash of light and you're a giant man boy (laughs) they showed you how the sausage was made 
And that was crazy. And that's what I loved about this, right? You've got these Malibu, and I, I hate this about Malibu. It's, <laughs> it's, in, it's systemic to their creation. I, I understand that. It is a it is it is a symptom of the comics boom. I don't think yes. there would be a Malibu launch in like ninety three or ninety two when, when there was a when the comic boom was happening. But they weren't com- yes, okay, I lied. They were doing comic boom stuff. They were they every you know, they had every- Oh yeah, they they jumped on the odd bandwagon. Oh not for as sure heartedly as some, but they certainly oh. they dabbled in the variant and the specialty covers to oh, draw attention yeah. to themselves, and that that one will will bring up in a bit. Yeah, the, uh, black uh, Black September, uh, when everything was was bagged in a black poly bag and you couldn't see anything on the oh, covers. Oh, well, no, that there was a protectors. I don't know if this came up in your research, but I distinctly remember um, that had a on the cover. I, I think it was Weasel Man or uh, Ferret Man. Easy. Uh, yeah. Don't you dare invoke Weasel Man here. That's right. Uh, I think it was may have been Ferret Man, but basically the character had been shot dead center through the chest. No. On the cover. Go was ahead. that not Malibu? No, that was, was that was Malibu 100%. That was Malibu. That was, I think that was Solitaire. Okay. I, I'm not sure because it wasn't uh, – you basically had the, the chest and uh, – you know, just above the crotch tile area, but you really didn't see the character themselves. And there was a laser cut hole straight through the entire comic, from the I got to figure out cardstock cover to from the front to the back of the cardstock cover, straight through. You could see through it. It was like you wanted to go put it on a record player. <laughs> It was no, you're you're 100 percent right. It is. It, it was the protector. It was, it was the protectors. I'm sorry. It was the fit. It was protectors number five. Okay. Wow, I was pretty early in. I I would have given like 16 or something. Uh, it was 1993. I mean, I lied. A pretty pretty audaciously. They were pretty guilty of variant covers and gimmicky stuff. Um, but my thing is that it seemed more fun than um than the other stuff than the others yeah. that were out there they had their chromiums like you said they they did have the shot through the comic all right and they also in fact i i wish i could remember the comic but there was another indie that their answer to that like god's truth was to fire like i don't know guns so let's say 22 calibers that small i don't that's know small yeah okay yeah they small f- caliber rifle held to a stack of 20 or 30 copies at point-blank range and fired. Then the next stack, then the next stack for the entire print run. They actually, there was, there were granules of (laughs) gunpowder. When we were at Diamond unpacking, you know, packing this this issue, there was gunpowder, there was, was powder burn, there was residue, there was the scent of freshly fired arms. Just and in occasionally it. you would find a small arm shell, a small caliber shell in the box. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> but my thing was they were doing that were parallel to what Mar- they had their super books and all of the all of the trips and parallels were there. They had you had a you had an Iron Man. I think prototype was the Iron Man, um, you know, a- analogy. You had Ferret Man, who was their, their kind of their wolf. You had Solitaire, who was like a Punisher, you know, but he had a healing factor, so he was almost a Deadpool. You had all of these guys that were the Protectors, were the Avengers, or the JLA, you know, whichever. You know, you had all this, but they were doing fun, crazy stuff that that Marvel and DC could never get in their comics. And that was, for me, a big draw, because comics got bored. You know, comics kind of still are boring. <laughs> you got your same seven bad guys and your same seven good guys trying to figure out ways to make that interesting. Sometimes they get it. Sometimes they don't. More times than not, they don't. And you're relying on, you know, good storytelling at this Um But Malibu was out there just making wild sh- just wild shit. Just whatever they wanted to, because who cares, right? They were, they were, they were having fun. 
And that is what comics are supposed to be is fun. That's something that no one else was doing. That, yeah. That you could go to a comic shop and buy off of a, off of a rack, you know, is just fun comics. They exactly. Also, they also, at this period in time, Cole, you'll, we actually did a, a, did we do an entire issue on this? I think we did. I think so. We may have done something along these lines. Well, they, they did, they, they, they became the company known for the digital coloring process. Yes, indeed. And the high quality Mondo paper, baby. Oh, they were the, the, uh, the sentinel of Mondo or yeah. Ma- Mando, Mando, Man- paper. Mando paper, Mando paper. Um, and they are, so they became the people that were known for the quality of the paper, the quality of their print jobs. Everything was the highest quality, right? Um, they also had what was, they, they brought all their creators in, and this is interesting. Now you hear about it more than you did then, and they were one of the first kind of bulwarks of this idea. Now you hear it all the time, when especially when it comes to, like, Game of Thrones or the Marvel movies or any big sweeping opus that people are creating, they created a Bible for their for the Ultraverse. And see, that's something that's sadly lacking. Back when uh, my friend Steve McCauley, who's been on the show many times, uh, when he and I got ambitious about becoming comic creators, uh, we uh, one of the things I... I insisted on largely because at the time it was inspired by the fact that Marvel and DC both had their respective character guides. Right. Uh, Marvel Universe and Who's Who, respectively. But one of the things that bothered another friend of ours, David, who I, I think was on the uh, was he on the the Chick uh, episode? No, that was Eddie. That was Eddie. That's right. What uh, he's been on the show he's as well. He's been on the show, yeah. And he's been on the Rancor Pit back when we had just the recorded show. And um, he, um, one of the things that bothered him was all this, like, place of birth, unknown, age, unknown. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Somebody knows. And I thought, you know, you're right. Even if you never say it, even if it's never revealed, you don't get bone claws that way. And this was, you know, six to eight years before bone. Bo- bone, bone zone, before the bone zone. Bone claws. Um but, uh, you know, that was one of those things that I, I began to really compose character guides that gave backstory that I may never reveal. And I love the fact that, you know, you can tell when there's that synergy. Right. So, you know, another one that was another comic in there that was really interesting was, do you remember Rune? Yes, I, I remember that name as well. Barry Windsor Smith's comic. Oh, that's right. Are you any rune? It was, it was the, like a vampire. He was a space, uh, like, an immortal space vampire. Yes. Yeah, he had, he had like this sort of uh, mauve sort of skin that would, uh, and uh, yeah, and very, very Barry Windsor Smith looking. Yeah, and, and he, he, it just invokes everything you ever saw of Barry Windsor Smith. Yeah, and Barry, and they, and it just was, you know, a, it was creator owned by Barry, but again. Because they had this overarching, you know, quote unquote Bible for their universe, it made sense in the universe. And when it would cross over, it would make sense in the crossovers. It wasn't, it you know, it wasn't ham fisted. Everything talked to each other very well. Unlike what happens later um, in a segment I'll call Marvel Ruins It Again. Um, ah. uh, makes me so like just doing the research on it just made me so mad um but so they brought in they created this really tight around all these characters so whenever they had crossovers they did crossovers a lot um everything made sense which is something that was lacking in you know anything that wasn't (laughs) any marvel book that wasn't spider-man crosses over with you know whoever they they sometimes had a really hard time making it make sense. And, you know, Malibu didn't suffer from that because I think, again, everybody was there. Yeah, they were making money a little bit, but they wanted to, they, they, they wanted to create their own thing. They had respect for everybody in the room and they wanted to have fun and make yes. it good. And that's what, that's what they did. Um, 
So, we got all that going on. Um, I, I did want to bring up Ruins. It was it was crazy. Um, uh, now we get into the part that sucks. So, let's talk about the parts of, of Malibu that's good. Do you have any other parts that, that really stand out to you being at Diamond, seeing what you saw? I just remember that that was an imprint that you did see a lot of. They were very vibrant. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a degree of popularity uh, that was unique. It was sort of like image before image. I mean, you know, once image hit, I think what happened was Malibu was drawing a very mature audience and image just came in and everybody's like, Oh, looky, looky at all the art. Right. Right. And, and the young audience spent heavily. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for all of the beautiful, weird, and vibrant art that Malibu had. They had really strong storylines to support it. You don't get George Perez writing a comic if you're not going to have a strong story. You know, know, Byrne, Perez, you know, Wolfman, these guys live and breathe the story. So anything else is ancillary. And they were just great, fun comics. Then I remember seeing in the comic shops... Oh yeah, Sludge too. I wanted to I wanted to talk about Sludge a little. Sludge was one of my favorites too. Oh yeah, we fact we talked about Sludge mm-hmm. in our Marsh Madness episode several we, years ago. We did because Sludge is the is the is the bastard stepchild of of uh, Swamp Thing and Man Thing. That's right, exactly. Not only does he have the burns at the you know touch burns the man that knows fear powers. Uh, which you think would be a one-off. Um, also, he has, you know, he was born of toxic waste. Because, you know, uh, uh, he was an ecologically based character, and they used him as such. They used him not only as a harbinger, you know, the the the, the green movement at the time, because it was popular, still is, but they also used him as kind of a Hulk character. So he, he played a lot of roles. He was a fun guy. These comics were so fun. I wonder if there's any kind of weird omnibus out there. for. I'm going to have to look at that. I might have to revisit that for our uh, for our uh, Santa Sack episode. I want, yes, absolutely. I want Captain, I want, uh, I want the zoo crew, and I want anything that you can get in an omnibus from Malibu, because now I'm super nostalgic. But I remember seeing in the comic stores posters for Black September. Do you remember that? It was a big. It was a big. I yeah. It, you mentioned that earlier, and I, I vaguely remember that promo g- gimmick. It was a black. It was just a black rectangle, and then in the middle it said Black September in green, and then it had an infinity stone. It had an infinity stone in it. You didn't know at the time, but it had an infinity stone in it. Okay, and. Nobody really knew what it meant. Keep in mind, the internet was not there. We just knew it was there. Yeah, exactly. Because what happened was Marvel (laughs) buys Malibu. Because Malibu's sales were flagging, and Marvel could pick them up on the cheap. Later do we find out the reason that Marvel picked up Malibu was not to pick up their war chest of comics and characters right was not to pick up their talent it was for one thing and one thing only the rest of its ancillary the one thing was their coloring method they were the company who digitally color comics yes exactly and they had patented that technique they owned it that particular technique for instead of figuring out a new different way to digitally color comics marvel just bought malibu Exactly. And I always wondered about that because I had never really connected the, uh, you know, the reason why not just buy the technology or lease the technology uh, until you had pointed out. I, I don't think it was ever that as it wasn't as well publicized in the purchase that it was Malibu's. It's not only something they developed, they, they own the patent and. Right. could easily have sold it to others. So Marvel at the time was buying everything under the sun. They were buying Toy Biz and, um, right. uh, oh, God, what was it, Skybox. They wanted mm-hmm. to control – they literally – you could smell it. They wanted to control every aspect of their product 
from the paper it was printed on to the mills it was print, you know, where it was to the mills that made the paper, the print houses, the distribution, the um, and every kind of merchandise, and they were just literally be merchandising to themselves. Yep. And that, of course, is a whole other story. But this was very much in keeping with what they were doing, and I'm sure they envisioned that if they owned Malibu, then they, of course, owned all of the assets, including this coloring, and that meant that they could be the patent holder. Yes, and they assumed and lease, and lease that, that license that out to others. So the idea from initially was, okay, we're doing this so that we can have this and sell it, but also we're going to let Malibu just continue to make comics the way they are now. We're going to own them, but we're just going to let them make comics. But we're Marvel, so what do we have to do? We have to shoehorn our shit into everybody else's shit. That's what we. So Black September was the essentially the announcement to the public to the comics public hey we own malibu black september is our crossover this is how it's like dc and wildstorm do you remember when that shit went down oh yeah exactly it's the same thing so you know your storm watch is going to have hawkman in it now i hope you i hope you don't care exactly yeah i do remember that like one of the first things it was thor versus prime yes we've got to not only establish our presence, we have to pee all over it and literally hammer it in. It was like, a, I mean, Thor was the appropriate launch pad because they were literally, you know, using this new ownership like a cudgel. So they came in and they retconned everything Marvel did. Okay, we don't like prototype. We're going to change it. We're yeah. going to Jimmy Ruiz was the original was the original prototype with the armor. Right, and he was basically Iron Man. So we're gonna retcon that. We got an Iron Man. We don't need yours. So we're gonna yeah, retcon that. We're gonna retcon right. Hard Case. Oh, Hard Case. Yeah, it's um. We're gonna retcon that. We're gonna retcon choice. We're gonna retcon contrary. Rune. It was really weird because Rune was at the. Like I said, there was an Infinity Stone on the poster. So the idea was, there's now another oh. Infinity. Stone. So a, where when you put that on the palm of the gauntlet? Right. I, I don't know I'm where kind you, of weird, weird. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's 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 bajillion. Oh, it's one of those. Yeah, it's it's one of those plugs. Right, and they retcon Ruin to make him um to because Ruin in the beginning was uh, a barbarian that ate dragons. Because <laughs> Barry Windsor Smith. I yeah, mean, come that's, on. you'd expect no less. I mean, honestly. Right. Um, and they retconned that. Um, they took the, the dragon part out. They just made him a space barbarian. Um, they um, they did some stuff with, like, solitaire. Um, but everything that happened was the result of an infinity uh, stone that Loki wanted it. And that was the crossover. Okay, yeah. So the, the big fight was Ruin and Loki trying to get an infinity um, and they were the Pokemon of their day, in all fairness. <laughs> right. I think Puck had them all. Of them. Um, but that was the, that led to the beginning of the end of Malibu, because they came in and they exerted editorial control after they said they weren't, did this giant crossover, and then started throwing things together like, I think it was Gambit and Hardcase. You know, they had these weak crossovers. Yes, good night. Yeah. Um, and they, because... Because they said, well, we need to sell more comics. Exactly. Now um, that we own you, you, you need to step up to the Marvel level of, I mean, if you're not selling 6 million copies a month or better, you know, 20 million copies or 100 million, you're, you, you're just not cutting it. You know? Do you know what else Marvel did? They stopped them from, so at what point did Marvelution happen? When oh, was yes. it? Marvelution was somewhere in the oh god uh, I'm gonna have to look that up because it was it was in the 90s because that was an obvious death knell to the industry right but I think that this in some ways corresponds with that because they decided where and and where not to buy Malibu brand comics oh that's right so you couldn't buy Malibu comics from 
the drugstore. You couldn't buy Malibu comics from the gas station. You know, wherever you could buy them, you had to you had to have them. They had to come from the direct distribution channel at that point. That's Be- right. Yeah, because Malibu was doing secondary distribution in some cases and just getting comics out wherever they could because they could do that. They weren't, you know, they they were willing to to make weird deals and and wheel and do things. Well, they couldn't do that anymore. Marvel also increased the price of their... And then Marvel started throwing... So you had these established comics with these established creators that were enjoying their jobs and having fun, and the fans loved it. They knew what it, you know, they knew what it would look like. It wasn't... It, it wasn't the, you know, the, the wizard young guns putting these things out. You know, it was, it was the people that they wanted comics by, and they were having fun making them. The thing about art is, if your readers are having fun... You can tell the same way. Yes, that, exactly. The same way you can tell Daniel Craig's having fun on the cast of Knives Out. This is Knives Out podcast now, now we, for the next hour. Can we get a, some Knives Out? Uh... <laughs> Should win every Academy Award this year, Knives Out. Um, but the same way, right? So you started getting like Joe Mad, Joe Madureira, Waringo. You know these guys. Um, were were being shoehorned into things that they never were on before. Yeah. So I so, didn't understand because they weren't right part of that family, and probably didn't have the opportunity to glean what that meant. And so um, people started leaving Malibu. Um, that Malibu tried to save themselves with a big crossover called God Wheel. Um, spokes of a and they introduced a really like a really interesting villain by the name of the Pumpkin King, who I don't know if you remember seeing, but he was like a, a guy oh. in like a pinstripe suit with a giant pumpkin head. Yes, I remember that. Um, and rather, iron, rather ironic that now technically Disney owns two Pumpkin Kings. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so, Malibu, at this point, people are leaving Ever, you know, Marvel's still exerting editorial control and cutting the bottom out of things and saying, we, we're, well, yeah, m- m- um, the, your character of Mantra, I don't know if you remember Mantra. Oh, I remember Mantra. Mantra was actually one of the more interesting characters. Yeah. I actually read some Mantra. Mantra was cool because it was um, a dude that was a wizard that came back in the body, of, like in a modern body of a, of a woman, and, but it wasn't fan service like it wouldn't be like it would today. It was just a straight ahead comic book. And they, you know, they used it as a plot point, but it wasn't like, oh, it wasn't it wasn't like an 80s movie like Weird Science where the first thing you do is honk your boobs. Yeah, you know, exactly. Was, it was actually played for the comics and not for the fan service. Um I want to say that this uh Marvelution occurred around 1995. So that would have been right at this time. Because uh, I found uh, Peter David's uh, But I Digress column okay. from uh, Comic Buyer's Guide, uh, March 31st, 1995. I love – the man's brilliant. Chick, 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 the sound of dominoes starting to fall. <laughs> so it was early 90s that that pipe dream began. Okay. And, and the thing is – Early to mid-90s. That's when this happened. So I wonder if that was a, a... – a tie, you know, a piece of this puzzle. I, I, I almost think it has to be. Um, so they shout out to Rick Gutierrez for this next part. <laughs> um, because, because he and I talk with a great fondness about this. So they went into um, business trying to save themselves. Malibu did by turning their attention to the small screen. Yeah. And TV shows. Um, <laughs> we talk with great fondness about the Ultra Force um, cartoon. Cole, did you ever bear witness to the Ultra Force cartoon? I did not, but at one time I owned oh a Topaz action figure. Okay. From the Ultra Force action figure, which, if I'm not mistaken, actually predated the cartoon, but I suspect, especially after watching a lot of the toys who made it, actually all of the toys who made us, was an inevitability. Right. To, you know, the comics alone weren't going to sell the toys. So, they went to DIC. Do you know who DIC is? Oh, yeah. Deke! 
Yeah, they did the littles and uh, a number of other. They were they were the 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 shit back then. Were, uh, that was a period where uh, Haim Saban and uh, Deke and others, a handful of others, kind of ruled what yes. uh, used to belong to Hanna Barbera and um, Sid and Marty Croft. And they did it with uh, like like you said, they did it with cartoons like Biker Mice from Mars. Ah, uh, Biker Mice from Mars. So they did. So they they had 13 episodes of Toy Line, um, and Rick and I have talked about. We talked about the Ultra Force cartoon on a podcast a lo- a while ago, a long while ago. But it was extremely fun. We found it and we watched it, and it was it's a damn ridiculous cartoon. It's exactly what you'd expect to be. They also did a TV show. Um, I owned this TV show on a DVD. <laughs> It was the TV version of Nightman. Oh, that's right. Was, that was I don't know why I didn't make that connection before. Of course Nightman was Malibu. It was the it was on the USA network. It's Nightman is a crazy ass story where by night he's a jazz saxophonist and by night he's also Nightman. <laughs> that's right. It's so good. Okay, I'm going to go take a break everybody. He goes out and fights crying comes back. <laughs> And he can see Chuck Mangione. What was that? Was that Feel So Good by Chuck Mangione? Um, I wish wish that that's what it was, though, in the show. Like, I wish the only thing he did was just play Chuck Mangione's Feel So Good. So, Nightman had the ability to sense evil thoughts and fight crime. And so much of it happens on, on little boats um so so much of it um but it was it had two um but it but because marvel at that point went bankrupt they couldn't make another um so malibu uh essentially at this point yes. now there is constantly talks of people <laughs> wanting to revitalize the malibu because pe- people love yeah. it because it was zany and wild and creepy and fun and you know you had covers like the the hippie prime do you remember hippie prime is that something that sparked wow a, no i don't there was one cover that i've seen um pop up a lot um and i'm looking for the cover now where it's prime but he's got like it's like it's like a, a kind of a close-up like a like a bottom of the chest like solar plexus up but he's got like you know, like a headband on and flower power and his fingers up like a hippie. And, um, you know, people read these things pretty vividly. Oh, and yes. People, and people rem- and people only back on, on Malibu as fun comics that were made to be enjoyed, you know, yes, and also gimmicky. But a lot of people look back on the gimmicky stuff as fun. Yeah, you that's know? true. So, so... I just I feel bad for Malibu because and and the fans of Malibu because it's like anything else that we that we talk about on this show or you talk about you know when we talk about Star Wars talk about cartoon look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles look at Ghost you know the people that grew up with this in the 90s are now adults and they have money and they want that sense of nostalgia back they want their ferret man damn it and you know, there's always talk. Almost every two, three years, there's talk. We're gonna, we're gonna bring the Malibu universe back. Marvel still owns it. You know, there's a new, there's a new guard that was really into Malibu, and it just hasn't materialized. So, I just want to, you know, kind of memorialize what Malibu meant. You know, we the the litany of if if you know if this was a, a funerary service, the litany is things like revolutionize the way comics are made, incubate, you know, things like image, um, allow people to make their own books in their own image the way that they wanted to, and and we're not talking about young guys that come in with portfolios. We're talking about guys like George Perez, exactly, time honored comic creators. That this was the this was the start for a lot of companies adopting that business model. So now you got George Perez making all kinds of independent, still making oh, all kinds so of independent. Oh, that's so true. Yeah, he was like all over the map during that point. 
and and Malibu's really the place where that was allowed to be fostered, shown that it works, and you know, and then people adopted that. So you know, I, I personally I love it. I, I do want to talk. We still got a few minutes to talk about some of our favorite Malibu characters, and I don't know if you have any, but I've got plenty. Um, just you know, they were iconically cool looking as well. That was another thing about them that made me happy. Oh, absolutely. And the thing about it is, I I'm racking my brain to remember everybody, but like Ultra Force really was a standout. But the more you talk, them, I'm like, holy crap! I'd forgotten that you know Nightman and so many other characters were Malibu, and they. And they had a kind of at least agreeable synergy in the way that Marvel and DC have. There are some things that, frankly, if you analyze it too much, uh, Marvel <laughs> and DC are, are too big for you to notice. Um, but they, uh, you know, th- there's often these characters that just don't belong. Right. And frankly, the image partners, the one thing they didn't have was synergy in their product. Sure. Spawn can't, doesn't. It, it, it's sort of forced into a universe with young blood that then has to share space with cyber force. And it just, none of them quite feel like they're coming from the same world. And yeah. I think Malibu got away with that. And probably in, in no small part because of that Bible, uh, they, you know, they took the, put in the effort uh, to make something, at least there was some degree of synergy there. Remember Google, Oh, ghoul. Good God. Yeah. All of these characters were Malibu. They existed in, you know, in the Malibu. They're iconic. They're that, it's that weird negative zone of these iconic characters, but you just don't remember why you remember. And they were almost all Malibu characters. So you had guys like Ghoul who had the ability to reanimate dead things. Oh, that's right. You had, you had guys like, uh, like, like, Oh, it wasn't ferret. I'm sorry, it wasn't ferret man. It was just ferret. For some reason, I remember okay. it as That's ferret man. Okay, that's why it didn't sound quite right. Right, but you, you know, you, you. There's just so many. Remember Dark Wolf? Oh God, Dark Wolf. Dark Wolf. Um, these characters just were all, you know, and they were they were all over the place. They, you you got them every month front and center on the newsstand not on the newsstand but in your comic shop if you walked into your comic shop they had Malibu front and center and I remember buying just as many Malibu comics as I bought any other any other comic company's comics at that point um they were great and I really I really do wish that they would that they would bring them back because there was like Tech Knight was in there um Tech Knight was was super fun, super fun comic character. Um, a lot of the uh, Star Wars or Star Wars Star Trek had a Malibu run too. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they were one of the the Star Trek license holders. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did well for themselves. And if they wouldn't have sold to Marvel, they might have continued to do well for themselves. That's so true. Oh crap! Is that right? I didn't remember that. Remember Apex? Yep. Power Shaken. Okay, that was, yeah. That was Bravura. That was Malibu. Power and okay. Glory. Power and Glory was a Malibu comic. God, I'm now remembering Malibu that I didn't know was there. And I forgot that, that Howard worked Malibu for, or that made that, made comics. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we should <laughs> wrap it up. I get, I'm done being waxing nostalgic. Sorry I've dominated this issue. Oh but, no! You have both the knowledge and the enthusiasm, I because love these are yeah, it was a series that, or and a publisher that really was important part of your life. It was. It really was because before Malibu, it was Marvel and DC, and regardless of the reality of the situation, it was Marvel and DC and who are these a holes making comics in their basement and trying to sell them to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Regardless of the reality that that isn't, you know. That's regardless of, of, you know, Drew Hayes working his ass off to make poison elves or whatever. That's kind of the way I felt. Oh, well, that's cute. They're making their own comics. Yeah, exactly. And then Malibu. And I was like, oh, and then I started looking into Malibu and understanding what they were doing. And it opened annex of comics to and allowed me to um, allowed me to have the free joy things like 
and um, DDP and boom, and give these things a shot that I probably wouldn't have if it were. Yeah. And again, I really, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, no, I'm glad you did. So what's next week, man? Something well, I don't know next a lot about, week, probably. Exactly. Uh, next week, if I'm not mistaken, I'm hoping I'm not getting these out of order. If I am, this is the new order. <laughs> uh, next week is Defiant Behavior. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah, this is going to go from a, from a high to a low. <laughs> We're just, this is a roller coaster. <laughs> this is a roller coaster arc. <laughs> I don't know as much about Defiant besides the fact that it was formed in a uh, maelstrom of Jim Shooter and cocaine. I don't yeah. know as much about Defiant as I do about um, about Malibu for I do remember as a plasm. Oh, we're going to talk about Warriors of Plasm, aren't we? Oh, yes, absolutely. We have to. Oh, good. All right, cool. So why don't you plug us up, and um, we'll get out of here so I can start researching Defiance. <laughs> absolutely. Well, we're coming to you from the Jedi Cole universe, JediCole.com, home of mostly um, this show. Uh, <laughs> I still keep desperately trying to work on it. You'll get it. I have faith in you. After the holidays, <laughs> holidays is tough. But, um, yeah, the, the holidays be tough. But uh, you can also find me on the first and third Sundays of every month at DallasOnAir.com on the uh, Rancor Pit Live, which is 10.30 to 11.30 a.m. Central with myself and Eddie Medina and the Talk Lord of the Sith, Zach Schroeder. And on the third Sundays every month, that is preceded from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. by Isle of Toys, A-I-S-L-E, uh, which is my, good God, nearly two-and-a-half-year-old toy show. Mm-hmm. And much to my chagrin, the Rancor Pit has not just become the home of all things Mandalorian yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're, we're probably going to go heavy, especially uh, once the, uh, the series has reached its conclusion. I'm, I'm lobbying for that to happen so and i will continue to do <laughs> yeah it's a great show um <clears throat> isle of toys is fantastic and mainly because it sits right in my wheelhouse um because if we weren't doing this show we would be uh <laughs> for sure for sure and i would still like a record a vial of toys by the way um so yeah you can find us at hk comics show um, on the Facebooks, the Instagrams, and the Twitters. I'm trying to get better about it. Again, the holidays are making it rough, but um, but we'll get it. Um, so, Cole, do you have any final Malibu-style thoughts that you would like to share? Oh, wow. Uh, go in and find, seek out Malibu. It's yeah. worth your time. It is. No, it 100% is. Um, and uh, join us next week for more Hey Kids comics. And remember... Um, with the holidays right around the corner, anything you can get me Malibu related would be greatly appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> Say good night, Cole. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>